time to go big or go home with the division manager of primary residential mortgage in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Now, here's the entrepreneur and mortgage extraordinaire himself, James Harper. What would your mama say? Go big or go home. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening to this week's podcast of Go Big or Go Home. We're excited to have you here today and listen uh, to what we have to offer, what we have as information to you. We are coming to you from our secret headquarters here in Hendersonville, Tennessee. I always like to say, I think it's kind of funny. Uh, and we're excited to get things going with our very special guest. I'm James Harper, and my goal is to make a difference in your life today. I want you to sit back, open up your mind for the next 45 minutes or so, and think bigger and more exciting things for yourself. I believe that anything is possible if you drop your excuses off at the door. So without further ado, I want to welcome our guest today, our guest speaker, our guest storyteller. And we're just going to sit back and listen to him answer some questions from me that I've kind of put together. And so I want to welcome Jason Duncan to the show today. Thank you so much for coming, my man. Glad to be here. I'm glad I found the secret secret yeah. layer. So Jason owns Energy Lighting Services here in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and started this company from the ground floor, or from what I call cradle to grave. And uh, his company has been listed twice in the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing privately held companies in America. And has also been listed in the Entrepreneur 360 as one of the best entrepreneurial companies in America. First of all, congratulations. Well, Thank job you. well done on that. That's awesome. Thank you. So how do you get your company to a, a level where you get that kind of recognition right out of the gate? Well, uh, you've got to put in all the hard work first because they don't sure. give awards unless you've actually done the work. <laughs> and then it's a matter of having a really good marketing team that finds out where these awards are and the availability of them. And so Inc. 5000 takes, uh, takes nominations from companies all over the country every year to make this list. And so we, we uh, made an application, said, we don't know if we can make it or not. And they came back and said, hey, this is actually a pretty good story. Tell us more than we had to make a deeper dive application, send in a lot of data and information, and then came back and found out that uh, we got named on the list twice. Well, that's, that's, uh, that, is, that is why we're here, because you have a story. And so um, looking at your bio a little bit, I think it's very interesting that uh, you're on your third career, at yep. least the ones that you've kind of told us about. You may have a few more in there that are, uh, have not as much significance. Um, so I have here that you were a uh, minister slash pastor for 13 years, also spent four years as a teacher before starting your company. And man, I got to ask you the first question because you sound like a profile of myself <laughs> where I've always wanted to try to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. And maybe I'm still figuring that out today. Um, but all of a sudden you switch into energy lighting services. So tell a little, tell us a little bit about what your company is and how you got the idea to start this from the ground floor. Well, so when I was teaching school, um, it was the best thing I'd ever done. I really thoroughly enjoyed being a school teacher. I taught eighth grade American history and uh, really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the job. I enjoyed the kids. I enjoyed pretty much everything about it. It was it was so fulfilling. Uh, intended to stay in that career for the rest of my life, um, and that was you know had had other things not happen, I'd still be there. But in uh, in 2010. 
um, I had a friend of mine came to me and he so, said, "So let me let me interrupt you there." Yeah. So you said that something just happened that created you or forced you to close the door and another one to open. Very very key thing there, right? Mm-hmm. Because you said this is something that I was still passionate about. I still loved. I love teaching eighth grade history, and somewhere in your path that had to change for whatever reason. We don't necessarily need to get in that unless you want to share. But you had to close that door and another one open. Yeah. So uh, in, in uh, 2010, 2011, we were coming out of the Great Recession. And uh, every school district in the state or in the, in the country was having to make, make, make cuts. And I was the last guy hired in my building and did not have tenure. And uh, even though I had the highest ratings of test scores in the county in my subject matter, I was a model teacher, loved it, had my license to be an administrator. Uh, when it came down to having to make budget cuts, I got that. I got tapped. Yeah. Yeah. So my contract did not get renewed for the following year, which was good in the sense that it gave me time to plan. So I found out in April and I was going to get paid up until August. You know, the school's out in May, you know, last in, end of May. So when I got that uh, hard conversation with my principal in April of 2011, I said, okay, what am I going to do? And I thought I would go just find another teaching job, but there weren't any to be found. At least I couldn't find one, and I wasn't willing to move across the country because Sumner County is my home. I didn't want to go anywhere. And um, a year prior to all this, so you're asking how I kind of went to this new company. Well, a year prior to that event, a friend of mine had come to me and said, hey, I've got this idea for a hydrogen generator and i think we could we could go into business and we could make this hydrogen generator and it would be really cool and we can make we might make some money on this and i thought dude i love teaching school i'm not making i'm not i'm a history teacher not a science teacher i don't know anything about hydrogen <laughs> so so uh but nevertheless i decided to go ahead and, and take the shot and we and we started the company officially a year prior to that conversation i had with my principal and we were doing we, we were working on that hydrogen generator just kind of on the side and you know it wasn't even a side hustle it was like a side stroll we we weren't really doing very much with it and but but then you know fast forward a year later you dependent on it. no it was yeah. not dependent on it wasn't, wasn't really making any money but i had to do something different uh when when my principal said hey your contract's not going to be renewed so i looked at all my options and what i thought was i've got a company that's set up under the energy the, you know the name of the company is future vision energy and i said i've got this company set up and i could do something with this in the energy space hydrogen ain't going to be it but what could i sell what could i sell in the energy space and leds was just kind of an idea that came across my desk i thought you know what i'm a really good salesperson i could probably make that work and um, i gave myself a deadline i said you know if i don't have a contract and have something sold by august the 15th i'll go get a job at lowe's or, <laughs> or starbucks or something so this was still in 2011 this is 2011 and yeah. uh so the last paycheck i was going to get from the state was going to be on august the 15th and i'm telling you james on august the 12th i walked out of a, a hospital and uh, with a contract that ended up turning out to be about 2.3 million dollars three days before my deadline so i didn't have to go work at lowe's or so Starbucks. you sold you sold a concept mm-hmm. you sold a uh, uh a theory uh, maybe it's not a theory maybe it's a product but you sold a concept and, a, and or a product and service three days before you were officially uh uh jobless and uh paycheck no money yep no money back was against the wall i love it so keep on going so we uh, so I w- went home and I told my wife I said, "Well, 
we did it. <laughs> I, we got we got it. Now the, the interesting thing is that like like even though that contract eventually was a little over two million dollars, didn't get all the money right then. Right, it took a long time for all that money to come in. When you do big contracts, it doesn't typically come in all at once. So I still had to struggle through. You know, the next twelve months or so were still a struggle to make to make it work. But you know. I, we, you know, you do all the hustle and grinding at the beginning, so you don't have to do it at the end. And so we were, I was doing all that at the beginning, making sure I was selling every day other projects. I was managing projects, sourcing material. I was flying all over the country to find fine materials, LED lighting that I could buy and source to put into these projects, working out deals with uh, contractors to install the products. Um, you know, it was a one man show uh, to do to do all of that work. Now I had I had a business partner, but he wasn't involved in the day to day operations at that time. So it was me kind of running everything. And eventually, we got to a place where I could afford to hire somebody. And I hired an assistant, and then I hired a salesperson, then I hired an operations person, and grew the team slowly over the years. Yeah. So to all the listeners out there, he makes that sound kind of easy. And to some extent, um, it may have been easy in his mind because he had a vision. He had a vision that kind of propelled him into his motivation or his drive. But I'm sure there were days where, man, it was you were scratching your head and saying, uh, am I making the right choice? What, what kept you going? Because uh, in any startup business, it's never easy at the beginning. It's never, um, um, it's never all um, butterflies and uh, smelling of flowers and all that kind of stuff. Um, so... What, did you ever feel like there was a point where you questioned yourself? Because there are a lot of listeners out there that question their ideas and their their motivation and drive each and every day, but it also kind of limits them from ever taking a step because they're kind of looking in the rearview mirror as to uh, what their repeated pattern is of whatever it might be. So what do you think about that? Well, I, you know, in my journey, I didn't really have a lot of uh, second guessing or questioning whether or not this was the thing I should be doing because it, 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 it worked so well so early for me that there wasn't really a need to sit back and go, am I doing the right thing? Now, that first six months before we landed those contracts, we were, we were selling little, I was selling little projects, but I wasn't selling the big ones. Yeah, there were a lot of questions. Is this the right thing? Is this going to work? And so once we got that big project, it kind of it kind of landed that that proof of concept you need to say, man, th- this is actually going to work. People will pay money for this. And so so do you feel like you? How were you able to make it financially during that time? So there's where my business partner comes in. So he was able to help us with the finances for the first nine months or so to make sure that things were covered. And then once we got about, I guess, I mean, I go back and look at the books, but I think about nine months in, that's when everything flipped. When everything flipped over, we started being profitable, and we've been profitable ever since. And still have a business partner today? Not today, no. Okay. So at some point there was a transition period, <laughs> and was that was. known? Was that known up front, or is that something that evolved over time? No, that that's probably been the worst part of my entrepreneurial journey, and uh, that 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 is still fresh. It's still ongoing. It's still something that uh, isn't was not a pleasant experience. But for me, it was a decision to look at the company and say, okay, we're we're eight years old at this point. We can we can move on into greater things we can become that 20 million dollar company we can move into different markets across the country but at the time the way the structure was it was in my estimation as the as a ceo and as the majority owner of the company that 
the that partnership was going to prohibit us from being able to move in those directions. And so uh, over the next six months or so after I kind of made that that discovery just mentally to know this is this has got to happen um i you know we had to work through what turned out to be a very difficult uh separation of two partners that were good friends and and you know and i love him and i loved him and you know we, we were good partners and good yeah. friends for a long time yeah i think you know um there's always uh in any business this could be in business this could be in uh personal relationships i think there's always a time and place where you learn uh, I know in my own business, uh, the people that I started with, uh, I'm thankful for and grateful for because they got me to a point where I was to a certain level. Mm-hmm. But I also realized that at a certain point, I, I'd, out, I'd outgrown a few of these folks. And um, it was okay to be able to move forward with different people because now you have different goals and expectations. And there's a book out there, and I, I do not remember the author, uh, called Necessary Endings. And uh, and I think there's a lot of truth and belief to that. I think we we start out going a certain direction, um, and we realize that, you know, I'm sure you have many times over, that you uh, start needing different staff because you need to be at a different level. Mm-hmm. Well, need- that's true. And it, and it was, uh, you know, it was it was painful but it was necessary and uh, there's been we're still dealing with the fallout from that so you know one thing that i have learned through this entrepreneurial journey is that i know how to structure partner relationships and operating agreements and how not to and what you need to pay attention to because ultimately those operating agreements and the structures that you set up are going to be the things that you live and die by and you better be prepared to to deal with those consequences so i've learned the hard way and uh, we're still working through that and you know, we've, uh, we're suffering the consequences of how that kind of turned out, but ultimately the company is going to be in a much better and healthier place moving forward. Well, that's awesome. I mean, we, we definitely hear a lot about your company, uh, here in the city and, uh, we, I know you do a lot of marketing yourself, uh, through LinkedIn and Facebook and, and social media, uh, outlets, um, and also are involved in some community, uh, activities. Uh, what are some of those? Well, one of the things that uh, that I was telling somebody this morning we do because they were they were kind of trying to drill in what 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 do you do in the community and I don't to me part of that feels like you're bragging if you talk about it too much so she was really asking me well, what do you do and I started thinking about well what what is it that we do well my daughter she's a, a senior in high school at, at station camp and uh, she's involved in uh, in the tennis program there she's involved in chorus and so we we my wife more than me but both of us really support those those efforts and so we go to all the games and we go to all the chorus presentations yeah. and we try to support the chorus get them what they need tennis team what they need um, we've got a house church that meets in our home and some other homes here in the county so we try to really try to support into some of those families and give them what they need and and support one another um, in the in the larger region we're members at uh, partner members of city current which is a great organization here in nashville and in memphis that does a lot of good for the community from a business perspective, introduces business people to business people, but also does a, a lot of events to get nonprofits the support they need from other business leaders in the community. So we do a lot of nonprofit work. Um, there's one specific nonprofit called Samaritan's Feet that provides shoes to children and people all over the world who need shoes. They've, they've donated 7 million pairs of shoes to people that haven't had shoes. And we do a kind of a shoe giveaway we just did that a couple of weeks ago so those are things that we get involved not only just me and my family but my company as well well that's great and we uh we appreciate everything that you give back to the community as well so let's uh take a step backwards let's learn 
a little bit about um, who Jason Duncan is. And um, so let's start back. Let's start all the way back. Grew up in uh, Sumner County uh, in the White House area, you said. Yep. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I always like to refer back to, I know when I was growing up, um, man, I, I was always, I was hustling, man. I was always trying to make a, a dollar. I would play, uh, nickel dime poker with my friends and try to make, <laughs> you know, try to win all their money. Uh, or I was out, uh, waxing cars to mowing lawns to paper routes, um, I think when I knew that I had a sales background, now for all the listeners out there, I actually have an engineering degree and, and um, went in the automotive industry for several years before I switched horses in the mortgage business. And uh, I get this question asked all the time, how do you end up in mortgage and sales when your degree is in engineering? And really there's a lot of overlap, to be quite honest with you. But um, what I realized going through the engineering experience is that I really liked sales and I was really good at sales. And uh, then I started reflecting back as to all the things I had done as a child. And really, um, it started, the aha moment came for me as I said, well, this is what I should have been doing all along. So one of the, my biggest accolades that I'm here to share, and uh, everybody will really get a good chuckle out of this, I was the highest sales um, uh, student that sold cheese and sausage in the eighth grade out of my entire middle school. I was number one. I sold the most cheese and sausage. Yay. The cheese and sausage Yeah, magnet. I'm going to give myself a clap on that. I sold the most cheese and sausage, and um, I was bound and determined to um, get the top prize. And, of course, I could pick from whatever I wanted to pick from. And and I chose a Commodore 64 keyboard. <laughs> I Just a keyboard. Just, Just a keyboard. keyboard. <laughs> I mean, there was no disk drive. There was no monitor. And I worked my butt off, and I got just the keyboard, which today is they're 25 bucks, <laughs> maybe 10 uh, back then, they were around two or two hundred fifty bucks, and so. Um, but I realized, and then you know, I won some paper route sales and all that. What do you think it was for you? I mean, I I'm not really buying what you uh, presented to us that my first job was at a cafeteria and I mowed the grass. Uh, there's got to be something a little bit more there that maybe, based on what I just kind of told you, might have given you some. Your aha there. Well, so I, my first job was at a cafeteria, Morrison's Cafeteria in Rivergate Mall. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, I was bussing tables at 15, and uh, my first entry into the workforce, right? Didn't really know much or do much. I just cleaned off tables. Um, but then, uh, but then at really, I guess it was around 16, I worked at I was a uh, I worked at the skate center. I was one of the guys that did the gave out the skates. I was also a floor guard and I was a DJ, and that's where mm. I really enjoyed working with the people, like working with the other people. Even though they were kids like me, I was sixteen, so I wasn't much older than them. But I really enjoyed working with the kids. And then somewhere around uh, somewhere in that same age range, sixteen, seventeen, I took my first kind of after school job like that was in pure sales. So I worked for this, it was a satellite company. They sold uh, the big C-band satellites, the big, huge satellites used to sell in the yards before cable became so prevalent everywhere. 
And the way we I'd sell it is I would go door to door out in the country where they didn't have cable, and they taught the owner of the company taught me how to look at the telephone poles and know which ones had cable and which ones didn't. There's a specific way you can look at it. And he said, you go in the areas that don't have cable, knock on the door, and you do a survey. You say, hey, I'm doing a survey in the area. I'm wondering if you would be interested in cable if cable programming came out here. And everybody was absolutely. Like one out of ten might say no, but everybody's absolutely. I said, well, would you be interested in a, in a person coming by, a sales consultant, come by and talk to you about what that might look like and how you could get cable programming? Sure. Well, would you be available tomorrow at 4 o'clock? Absolutely. Send them by. And then I would show up the next day at 4 o'clock. I was also the consultant. <laughs> and I would say, and I would have my brochures, and I would sit in there and show them, here's what you could get for this much money a month. You can get the satellite installed. And that was kind of my first sales job. And then as I grew older, I ended up uh, in college. I waited tables at O'Charlie's. That was really the one that kind of taught me, even though it wasn't pure sales, how to deal with the public and how to, you, you know, you get paid based on how you treat them and how you take care of them. And, uh, and then from that point on, I got it, I got into selling insurance and I, I tried to sell cars for a little bit. I was not very good at that. Sold a lot of cell phones, a ton of cell phones for Verizon or what I wasn't Verizon at the time. I don't know what it was called then. What was it? Cellular GTE cellular, yeah. or something like that. But I, but I sold cell phones and it just, but insurance was the thing I kept going back to. So in my young adult career, you know, like in my twenties, while I was still doing ministry, I was doing ministry part-time and selling full-time. I sold insurance and I was pretty good at it. And I sold quite a bit of it. But the thing about the companies I worked for, I could be the top salesperson and still not earning much money at all. Yeah, I had to get out of that. It didn't work for me. Yeah, that's really what happened with me too, is uh, I realized that I was in a nine to five job, I was making good money. Um, And I remember, my mother told me this uh, a few weeks ago, actually, um, because I I went to an all engineering school. So I co opt every three months. Uh, so every three months I was working for a company, a manufacturing plant that sponsored me. And I remember going in to work, uh, when I was on one of the co-op terms and watching these people, uh, that worked there just so ungodly bored (laughs) with what they were doing and almost where their heads completely cocked back and they're sleeping in a chair right in the middle of, uh, uh, right in the middle of the entire office space and they don't care um and i thought man that's not that can't be me that can't be me to where um i continue to stay in an engineering function that i'm so bored with what i do each and every day that that's going to be my life and and even though i finished on out my college career and went into the automotive industry i still never forgot that how incredibly bored these people looked doing their job and thus is kind of what's promoted me into doing this show go big or go home is because i mean it life's never it's never too late it's never too late to do a fresh start i started my new career um i guess let's see i'm 49 now i'm not to give away my age on air but um so 12 years ago i was 30 37 37 when I totally switched horses and totally wanted to do something completely different. And, um, sounds like that's kind of what happened with you. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's uh, a good Testament for all the listeners out there that it's never too late. It's never too late to try something different. And if you fall, if you fail, um, you've learned, um, and, uh, you know, one way or another through your own passion, sometimes, until you shut a door, another one will not open. 
Have you ever had that happen? Well, I guess you kind of did. When, Absolutely. When your teaching career. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I never expected uh, my teaching career to end, much less the way that it ended. Um, you know, I, I always thought that if I decided I got tired of it, I would shoot, it would be on my terms. I could leave when I wanted to, but in fact, I did not get to make that decision. And it kind of forced me into entrepreneurialism. But I'm so in many respects, I'm an accidental entrepreneur, like many people. Mm-hmm. But man, I, I truly believe, I truly believe that entrepreneurialism is the best, the best career. I don't it's think the best career. it's the best career. I don't, you're, you're in complete control of your destiny. Um, but it is scary as hell. Like there, there are days, like I always tell people this, if you're an entrepreneur, there's an invisible horizontal line in your life as an entrepreneur. And, and if you go below that line, you're out of business, mm-hmm. right? And you're the only one who knows how close you are to that line at any given time. And it goes up and it goes down just like the stock market up and down, up and down, up and down. And, but there, there are days you wake up and you know, oh my goodness, I'm at the line. Like I've got the next decision that I make can make me go below that line. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And now sissies shut it down. They quit. They give up. They say, well, I'm going to go out on my terms. I'm not going to let it go below the line. But then the, the, the people who press, press on and move forward, they get the, re- they get the rewards of that because the re- more risks you take, the more rewards are going to be there. But there's also going to be a lot of skin knees, bruised elbows. You're going to screw up. Things are going to go badly. But that line, I always think about that line every day. How am I? Where am I? In in reference to that line. No, that's good. That's real good. Um, I think that uh, a lot of people want to use excuses of, um, I don't want to take that risk. I'm not a gambler. Um, but then they'll sit and complain and complain and complain about um, their unhappiness. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm first one to tell you, I did that in about five or six of my jobs in a row. I kept wanting more money. I kept wanting um, them to see my value. And at the end of the day, I realized they weren't going to give me any more for my value. And even if they did, and I switched companies to try to get that perceived value, um, at the end of the day, I hated what I did. <laughs> it sucked. So... I had to do something to change me and change what made my happiness. And um, you found your happiness in what you do. And I I just think that's awesome. Um, So what is, uh, uh, we we both are involved in a similar coaching or the same coaching program. And I've given Coach Michael Bird um, a couple touts on the show already. Um, How's that made a difference in your life? And and uh, whether you're whether it's Coach Michael Burt uh, or any coach out there or mentor, um, how do you think that's important? How do you think that's changed your 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 business and your personal? personal well, life? I, I think that uh, a lot of people come to me and they say, "Well, Jason, if you had to give advice to someone starting a business, what are what is the one or two key pieces of advice you'd give them as they start?" And I, my, my my answer today is different, of course, than it was a long time ago, but. My answer is this. If you're going to start a business, the first thing you need is you need a bookkeeper. You need somebody to make sure they're watching the numbers. And it can't be your wife or your husband. You probably don't need to be doing it yourself. You need to get a professional bookkeeper or accountant, somebody who knows what they're doing, because you, you, you're, you're going to underestimate how much you can screw that up and how much that will affect 
everything. Like the IRS doesn't screw around, man. If you screw something up, I don't care. They're they're gonna let you say you're sorry because <laughs> you didn't know. So you got to get it right. Not that I made it, it terrible mistakes that I should be in prison for, but there were mistakes that yeah. were made in our bookkeeping processes that that came to bite us later. They weren't legal mistakes. They were just mistakes in how the numbers were were recorded. Second, sure. second piece of advice is get a business coach day one, and you're gonna tell me, Jason, I. I'm day one. I, I can't. I can't afford to pay myself, much less a business coach. Here's the thing: you can't afford not to have a business coach because you cannot know what you don't know unless somebody else is helping you. Well, was a business coach going to know everything that, that I know? But you know what? They're they're trained and they're they're skilled to do is to see things in ways that you can't see them. They're going to look at things from a completely different perspective. I didn't have a business coach for a long time. Partly and due to the uh, due to the fact that I thought that I couldn't afford it, and partly due to my partner at the time didn't think it was a good idea, and he was in fact a very good coach for me, and it was nice to have him there. But we needed an outside set of eyeballs, and so we didn't hire our first business coach until I guess it's about four years ago. And man, four years ago, the company took off. That's when we started making eight five thousand lists. Um, having a good business coach is is absolutely critical to your success. So, a business coach and and a, and a uh, and a bookkeeper. So, I've had many business coaches since then. Coach Burt being one of them to help me see things that I can't see, and it's extremely valuable. And listen uh, to all the listeners. Um, there are a lot of cost effective coaches out there, um, and there are coaching programs or coaches in general that will work with you on a magnitude of scale. Um, so don't ever, uh, you know, just because you think coach, you think expense, it is an expense, but there's also some reasonable ways in which you can get plugged into some different coaching programs so that you can start, um, training your mind to think differently. Absolutely. uh, And training your mind, uh, to have a different mindset. Um, so what do you think, um, I'm kind of losing my train of thought because I was I got three or four things rumbling around in my head. Um, what do you think that from the coaching program was the single biggest thing you've learned? That's tough. That I, I don't know so far. Yeah, well, because I don't know. St- this is a journey. Still. Yeah, I know we're still still in the middle of it, and um, I don't know. I I think that each each of the coaches that I've had, I've had. So, so kind of give you a flavor. I've had a just a consultant slash coach that looked at business strategy. Um, I've had a coach who was more on sales and driving revenue, and then I've had a life coach. And uh, so those are kind of three different coaching kind of methodologies. All of them are looking at completely different ways. Each of them brought significant value in the way that they uh, perceived the business and how my life was intersecting with that business. So I don't know. I mean, it's a fair question, James, and I'm not trying to dodge it, but I don't know that I could pick out one thing and say, this is the thing. Um, I could tell you that, you know, we've worked through some very difficult times with some customers who are very difficult. So my strategy coach was able to help me strategize through that. Um, we've had, I've had some difficult personal stuff that I've had to work through. My life coach has been extremely valuable in helping me work through that. And I'm not talking about marriage problems or kid problems. I'm just talking about how my personal life intersects with my business, how to, how to balance those things out. 
And uh, the life coach has been very, very helpful in doing that. And then Coach Bird, as the sales coach, has been able to, you know, just give give one specific example. You know, our sales cycle in this business doing LED retrofitting and commercial buildings is a very long sales process. And he sat down with our team and helped us go through and look at that process. And, of course, he doesn't know LEDs. He, does, he doesn't have a clue about it. doesn't understand our industry. doesn't understand anything. But he, he knows sales and he knows business. So he said, you know, when I laid out, here's all the things that we do, he looked at it and go, well, why are you doing it? Why are you doing that? And of course, now we have to justify why we're doing that. And and through that justification process, we realize, well, we don't really have to do that. So we could eliminate that entire step, or we could move this step to this position in the process, and we shortened our sales cycle by about fifty percent, uh, which is a lot of money, right? Yeah. If you can shorten that cycle, you make a lot more money. So, um, what do you, uh, what 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 really motivates you today? Well, my, my primary motivation is my family. You know, I'm motivated by making sure that I provide for them and uh, take care of them. I, you know, I've been married for 24 years, almost 25 years to my high school sweetheart. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. So, awesome. You know, she's my best friend, and, and I do anything for her. And, like, she's number one in my life, like everything. And I, tell, I told the kids we were having dinner last night, I said, you know, baby, you know you're my favorite, right? And I was talking about my wife in front of the kids because the kids were joking about who the favorite was. I'm like, well, let me tell you guys, if i got to make a choice, it's her. <laughs> but then I got great kids. You know, my kids are awesome. i got a 19-year-old son and a 17-year-old daughter, and they're, they're, they're why I get up and go work and deal with all the crap that I have to deal with from, sometimes. Um, and then, so that's my primary motivation is I want to make sure I take care of them. And then secondarily, I look at – I look at my employees, I look at my team members, and I look at the fact that they're able to buy homes and go on vacations yeah. and and do and invest and save for retirement because of an idea that I had, a crazy idea that I had that I could sell LED lighting. And uh, so that motivates me. So a lot of that, you know, I, I, had, I had a friend of mine, he's actually an entrepreneur as well. He, you know, I was commiserate with him, I don't know, three or four years ago. And I was having one of those bad days when I was close to the line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, We've been to the line we've all, there. We've walked the line. Yes, I know. And, he's, and I said, man, I just don't, I, you know, I was, I was complaining. Hey, I don't feel like I'm making a difference. Man, when I was teaching, I was making a difference. And he looked at me and said, look, dude. He said, look at your employees. You're making a difference. It's just different than what you thought it would be. Yeah. And that really changed everything for me. I thought, okay, I am making a difference. So now... You know, I pray for my employees by name every single day. I've got to use an app on my phone that reminds me to do that because they're while we're doing this. And when I have to, when I make a business decision that puts them in jeopardy, of course, it puts me in jeopardy as well. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah. I don't take that lightly. And I think they get that. I think they understand. And, and maybe not all of them, but I think most of them get that, you know, my intentions and my motivation is to make sure that they're taken care of. And how many employees you have now? Uh, I was asked that earlier. I, I just hired some. I think we're at 13, 14, something like that. And I'm hiring. I've got I've got two more people that I'm trying to hire before the end of the year, too. Good, good, man. Well, that's awesome. So uh, I'm just going to kind of ask you a few more questions here, and then we're going to wrap it up. Um, what's next for you? What's next for you? What's on your, your horizon that you feel like uh, you're not done with or you're not finished with? Uh, in your life well i think that from a career standpoint i'm on career number three yes uh so i was a uh, in ministry for a long time then i did uh, i was a teacher for a long uh, for four years and now i've been doing this for almost 10 it's hard to believe almost 10 years doing this and so for me 
Um, there have been times that I would have sold the company for just a, uh, you know, some subway coupons, right? <laughs> there are times I'm like, you can have it, man. Just take care of everybody. Right. But then there are times I'm like, man, I wouldn't sell this for a, a, a trillion dollars. I enjoy it so much. So I think what's next for me is I want to continue to get the business to a place where, uh, I'm an investor in the company, not I have to operate it. Like I'm still having to, I'm involved in daily operations. My team relies on me for a lot of things and I'm trying to get myself to a place where my team can operate without me and I can continue to build the asset, make it more valuable, cast the vision, communicate that vision, which is ideally the three things that an entrepreneur should do. The architect of the business should create the vision, should create and cast the vision, communicate that, and then build the asset. That's what he or she should be doing. You shouldn't be answering emails and, and making sales presentations. That's what a CEO should do. And I'm not there yet and I'm working towards that. So that's my next step. Then the other thing that I'm doing kind of on the side because it kind of it scratches the itch of my need to teach because God created me, my unique abilities to teach people is I do a lot of uh, sales training and coaching and I, a lot on social media. I do a lot of sales tip videos. And so I'm writing a book right now that I'm hoping it'll come out next year if I can just get it finished called Why People Buy, Unpacking the Four Reasons Why Anybody Buys Anything. And I'm trying to get that content put out there. So I'm doing sales seminars and workshops on that content. And I think long term, when my business is at a place where I'm the investor, not the operator, is that I'll be doing a lot of consulting and coaching and getting entrepreneurs from startup inception to a place of success within three years. I think that's my goal. If I can get them that first three years, because those are the most critical, right? Most businesses don't last. So if I can get them through that first three, three is kind of a lucky number for me. So if I can get them through that first three, I think they can make it. Well, good stuff, my friend. I mean, I think it's awesome. Everything that you've shared with us has been uh, very enlightening. Uh, You are actually teaching a a sales workshop on why people buy on December 12th from 1 to 4 at Vol State University. So if you would like to attend this, we urge all of our um, listeners to... um, plug in to that workshop and the cost of it is it's only 60 bucks 60 for bucks. three hours it's 60 great. bucks great. for three hours from one to four on december 12th um so we definitely urge you all to come out to uh that if you can and and join jason and have him share some more uh ideas man uh thank you so much for being here today and and um we uh we wish you the best of luck and also thank you to all our listeners out there that have joined the show today, we hope you've got a lot out of all that we've had to uh, offer and share. Um, we hope you're inspired and, uh, and you find some happiness and bring joy to whatever you want to do next in your life. Uh, let us know how awesome we are as well by leaving us a five-star review on whatever platform of podcast that you're listening to, and we'll keep the content coming your way. Uh, like us on Facebook at Go Big or Go Home with James Harper. Um, and our podcast, as I just said, can be seen on all the platforms out there. But if you don't have it on one of those platforms, you can go to our website at www.nashvillemortgagelenders.com. So do what your mama said. Go big or go home. And thanks for joining us today.
Primary Residential Mortgage, Inc., NMLS 3094. James Harper, Division Manager, Primary Residential Mortgage, Hendersonville, Tennessee, NMLS 71317. 131 Saundersville Road, Suite 140, Hendersonville, Tennessee 37075. Primary Residential Mortgage, Inc. is an equal housing lender. Some products and services may not be available in all states. Credit and collateral are subject to approval. Terms and conditions apply. Programs, rates, terms, and conditions are subject to change and are subject to borrower's qualification.